This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's show, uh, no PMQs, obviously, because it's still recess and we still don't know who the Prime Minister's going to be. Uh, so today we bring you Disunited Kingdom. Every Wednesday on my Times Radio show, we uh, travel the four corners of the UK to get the latest uh, political news. But as we're doing Food Week, what we thought today is go to some food banks in the four corners of the UK. Find out how they're coping. We've got exclusive research uh, today as well, which shows one in six people are skipping meals to try and save money. Millions more have put food back on the shelves because they can't afford to buy it. Uh, so we'll dig into that uh, a bit later on in the podcast. First, though, we kick off with our columnist panel. And on a Wednesday, it is Alibert. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. The Columnists with Alibert. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, uh, uh, Robert Crampton's here in the studio. Morning, Robert. Nice to see you. You too. Uh, we've also got Alice beaming in from sunny Devon. How are you, Alice? I'm well. I'm very worried that Robert's going to be cross. I'm not in the office after his column. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> because, uh, and also joining us this year in a, ma- in a major uh, uh, departure, Stig Abel's here. I heard there was food available. I'm not going to. I'm not going to share my opinions in the forthright and clever way of the columnist. I'm just no. going to stay for the. the You're staying for the, the food. Free, the free food, and I'll leave. You're missing out on the food, Alice. <laughs> so, so, did you know there's free I know. food? Alice? Yeah, yeah, you see. I'm Alice. not feeling guilty. Yeah, I'm not feeling guilty and hungry. It's even so, worse. we'll start with the savoury first. So, every day this week, I'm cooking like a prime minister. So, on Monday, we had John Major's gingerbread men with little wife once iced yeah. on them. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, yesterday, we had Tony Blair's chocolate cake, which I've got to bring, so I've got that. But we'll start with the savoury. Uh, so I've been making Gordon Brown's recipe of choice. Uh, let's take a listen to see how I got on. It's day three of cooking life. Today it's Gordon Brown. We go all the way back to 2009 when he revealed his favourite recipe was for rumbledy thumps. It's a mixture of potatoes, cabbage and sadness. Gordon Brown's recipe was uh, given to a book for Donaldson School for the Deaf. Back in 2009, Melanie Reid wrote in The Times that it was the most unsubtle thing from Gordon Brown to choose this peasant food, essentially. It involves old potatoes, boiled, old cabbage, boiled, and that's it. I mean, Gordon Brown's not a complete misery. You can jazz it up a bit with some salt and pepper. Some recipes say you can really jazz it up with a spring onion, and I've just found these slightly sad to go onto the bottom of the fridge, so they can go in. 
than mash. And then fry. The name Rumbledy Thumps apparently comes from the sound it makes in the frying pan rather than the sound your innards are going to make when you eat it. Brown it off, the recipe says. And there it is, Gordon Brown's Rumbledy Thumps. It says sometimes you can jazz it up with a piece of bacon, but I mean, come on, it's not my birthday or Christmas. Tastes like hot fried burned potato and cabbage. I mean, it's pretty basic, but come the economic Armageddon that's coming, it's about the only thing that most of us are going to be able to eat. So, for that, Gordon Brown, thank you. So, there we are. that's how I got on. Uh, you can watch the video online if you want to. I've just handed it out to Stig oh, and Andrew. Robert. Robert took such a massive mouthful, he's now burnt <laughs> I'm so his greedy. Innards. I just had breakfast as well. <laughs> What uh, do we think? What do we think, Robert? Talk well, us through. Well, I mean, it is very basic, but I'm a basic kind of a guy, so yeah. I, re I, re I really like it. I, I, like mean, it. I, I mean, I had too much, and it's hot, but uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, he's very puritanical, Gordon, but yeah. I mean, I guess I am too. In Hull, we would call this a patty. A patty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd have onion, be onion rather than cabbage. Yeah. It's a staple food. I mean, fish and chips in Hull is middle class. Yeah. If you're a true Hull working class person, which I'm not. Because I had fish and chips. You, yeah. have, you have patty and chips, which is two versions of fried potato, and it's onion. And, but and this is this obviously the Scottish equivalent. Uh, what, are you, what, what do you think, Stig? I think it's under-seasoned. Yeah. I, I'd say that. I, I really like it. I eat slight stuff all the time. I only have one meal a day. and I, uh, You only I have what? one meal a day? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I do. Why? Which meal? Oh, well, about two o'clock. Right. Um, but I quite often have stuff where I just put stuff in a pan and squash it together. Yeah. And you get old mm. potato with old old other food squashed together Do you in a pan. This would be good with a bit of bacon yeah. and a fried egg. Yeah, fried egg, a, fried bit, egg. Of, a bit of like brown sauce. Talking of a fried egg. Because then you get into that Huevas <laughs> thing that you can get in tapas thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically fried potato with egg, isn't it? Yeah, last which is, weekend. Which is nice. Was it last weekend or weekend before when I was in France? Uh, we stopped mm -hmm. on a, a bar-like restaurant on the side of the road. All of the chef's salad, because it got sort of... There was a promise of merguez, sausage mm. and... Uh, jambon and an earth. And I thought, well, that's nice. Boiled egg on your <laughs> yeah. salad. When it arrived, it was a salad, a load of, load of lettuce on top, a whole sausage and two <laughs> fried eggs. Nice. Mm. Like they'd uh, seen earth on a nut menu somewhere else. They didn't realise. So we had just runny... Anyway. Uh, nice though. that. It was so like a cut, fried breakfast. Cut the egg open, the make, sauce the dish yeah, with the cut egg. Cut the sausage up, just mix it up oh, with a spoon. Yeah, that's great. How, how jealous <laughs> are you about this? <laughs> I'm <laughs> it looks like you're about to put that in my face. It's not particularly oh, nice. My wife should say, it was point out, it also had a hash brown. So basically it was a yeah. sausage, bacon, eggs and hash brown on but, top but of this a sausage. This is a bit hash brown, isn't it? It is a bit hash brown. But here we go. This is much more better. This is Tony Blair's cake. It's a bit flat because I didn't whisk it properly, apparently. It's got things can only get butter written on the top. Very Alice, good. you're not missing anything. I just want to be clear. You might be getting a bit of FOMO there. Uh, no, well, the I minute... was, but I'm well, more worried are. about you not eating more than once. I know, that's what I'm we're thinking about. I'm worried about your stomach <laughs> rumbling Don't worry. all through your breakfast programme. Don't worry about that. So how the, do you stop that? The, the only thing is we've just sat and eaten unseasoned potato with rawish no, cabbage in it. It's all right. I slightly felt like I was in a Russian novel from the 19th century. Well, if you're all ill, I'll take over. You can have a big slice because you eat so little. There we go. I'm not eating all of that. God's sake. That's why he's come in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's why you're here. It's your one meal for this week. This is my one meal of the day. I don't want this to be my one meal of the day, by the way. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be very sad. Okay, so this I, is, this given, is Blair's... Given this, that to, well, it's, it's the recipe that Tony Blair gave to a charity cookbook. Given that he's boasted of never having cooked or been near a supermarket mm. for about 30 years, I'm kind of, I have my doubts. What's the middle? Hmm? 
What's the middle bit? Double whip, double cream, and jam. That's nice. That's no, nice. It's all right, shouldn't it? Can't well, go. whip, double cream, and jam is nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure about the sponge. Dry stuff yeah, yeah, the dry stuff. It's a right, very yeah. dry sponge, Alice. But anything with whipped cream and jam in it is really going to be fine, isn't it? You're yeah. going to get through. Well, I remember interviewing Tony Blair during the lockdown. He said they'd only cooked one meal in the entire lockdowns, and that was for his son Leo when he did an omelette, and his son refused to eat it. So <laughs> you're quite lucky if it's actually worked. Or Matt did it rather than him. If we put um, double cream and jam on the potatoes, on the omelette, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the omelette, sort of right. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I think well, Leo may, might have made, made the right call there with his dad's omelette. This I, isn't great. It's not great, but we're no. going to eat it, aren't we? It's my um, fault. Well, it's I'm, eating the, my fault I'm eating I'm, the jam. I used a hand whisk, and I'm told I should have used the electric. Yeah, you oh, right. But it was more you visual. Tried, tried to go old school with anyway, a hand whisk. Well, well, listen, I better yeah. let you go and talk about the issues of the day. Oh, no, I'm going to crack on and talk about <laughs> you two. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll wait another four hours and have my one meal, and I'll be thinking of you. Is it a very big meal? It's quite big, yeah. Tomorrow, I hope so. Big enough, gets me through the day. Tomorrow we're doing David Cameron's spicy sausage pasta. Oh, right. Can I stay for that? Yeah, you can if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I might be yeah. right for that. I'll do that tomorrow, yeah. 10.30. Yes, right. Little James Marriott comes in, he loves eating. Little yeah. <laughs> Little James. He's always eating. Yeah, he, he reminds you of a, of a student cook, doesn't he, a bit, he James Marriott? Yeah. Does he eat in the bath? I can't remember I if I made that up. It's now established as a fact that he eats in the bath. Yeah. I can't really remember. Well, Lovely. enjoy your chat. I'll, I'll stick with me. Thank you very much. Stick with me tomorrow. Stick with me tomorrow on breakfast, provided I've not killed him. Uh, with that um, reheated yes. cabbage. Thanks, thanks, that stings. It's a good job Marielle's not here later. She'll be complaining about the smell of stunk out the whole studio. Well, why don't we stick with food and farming mm. then, Robert, and talk about your column? Not about working from home. You mean about getting the kids to do the harvest? Yes, it's get the kids me to do as, the harvest. Well, it struck me kills a lot of birds with one stone, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, we were four weeks into the summer holidays now, so everyone's going to be... Uh, people with school-aged children are going to be desperate mm. for childcare. Uh, fruit is rotting in the fields, as happens every... It's now become a seasonal staple, that story. Sure. 60 million pounds of food has been yeah. left unpicked. Onions being ploughed back under. Yep. And, I mean, you're, the guy who was on before us was saying that we might... You say potatoes is the kind of famine food of choice, but it, we might not even have them yeah. in the, come the autumn. Uh, we've given up on sources of cheap labour from elsewhere, so we've got to find some cheap labour ourselves, uh, or even free labour. And it's not so long ago that kids used to... I mean, I think that's part of the origin for the long summer holiday in the first place. Is, yeah, is it's kids. because you were supposed to be out helping. Yeah, so I think we should do that. And they get some fresh air and exercise. They might even lose some weight. Yeah. Well, I remember, because actually this <laughs> week, I, we, were on a, we were on the farm on Monday, and I went, had a little ride on the combine and all that. And I remember mm. when I was like a child, mm. uh, you know, early teens, I'd be on my uncle's farm lugging yeah. bales onto back. I think it was pretty common. And, I know my dad yeah. used to do it in the 40s. He'd go down to his uncle's farm. I mean, everybody probably had an uncle who had a farm then. Yeah. Uh, but now they don't. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, big logistical ask for somebody. But I can't see why we couldn't set that up. I mean, I guess there's all sorts of... They did try of... and do it, didn't they, though? I mean, they tried to do it during lockdown and they um, appealed for students to come and help. Yeah. And, and they got something like 45. I mean, it was extraordinary. Everyone thought it was a yeah. good idea at the <laughs> yeah. time. But then they, are, then they don't want to actually go and camp out and... Um, Sort of actually and yet, and yet they will they will well, pay a small fortune to fly yeah. to Australia to yes. do exactly that. Go and work on a farm. Or go and work on a kibbutz yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Much more exotic yeah. though, isn't it? That's the problem. Yeah. Actually, our looking... youngest is helping now with the harvest and he loves it. Yeah, I that's saw only the because he watched saw... Jeremy Cox. I saw the Jeremy picture. Cox. You sent me the picture of him playing golf on top of a haystack. Yeah. yeah. Didn't yeah, look well, like he was I'm helping that much. But the farmer was really pleased with that. Get down over there! <laughs> exactly, maybe, maybe he'd seen Jeremy Clarkson he just wanted to be in the combine harvester I and mean, that's the thing it's yeah. the machinery that men like isn't it I, I, yeah, and then, and they, and, yeah, yeah, yeah you can't have 14 year olds going around in tractors but I suppose you could have 
14-year-olds picking fruit where, where it still has to be done by hand. Yeah. Uh, and maybe students was the wrong market. Maybe they should be looking at younger Go kids. Go younger. Yeah. And when they finish doing that, they can get up the chimneys. Yeah. Give them a sweep. Exactly. And with Liz Truss prodding them up the backside <laughs> with a sharpened stick. Work harder. So we can all start burning our furniture now to keep warm this winter. We're going to need to clean the chimneys as well. Um, and then water. There's water is a massive issue as well, Alice. You've written about water today uh, because we just sort of all take it for granted. And it's amazing. The regulator, the bloke from the uh, off it was called, is out and about this week. He just sounded like he was a spokesman for the water company. He's not remotely concerned really about the customer. No, well, David Black, who's the chief executive, basically said that, you know, we're better prepared than we've ever been before for floods and drought. And as did George Eustace, who's the environment secretary. And they both said that, the, that it was too difficult for people to understand the complexities of the water industry. It's not difficult at all, actually. When no. you see sewage being released into the sea endlessly, you know that's wrong. There's no, you know, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. It's like <laughs> we don't want sewage in our sea. So at the moment, there's something like 55 beaches you can't swim on today because they're just poor effluent into it and, and that is disgusting I mean no one can think that's a good idea so they need to sort that out they also need to sort out in the drought they do need to have more reservoirs we haven't built a single mm. reservoir since privatization that is bizarre that we're not doing any of this infrastructure when the companies are making so much money out of it and and I think something's got to happen it's the regulator I don't think we should renationalize it because I think it's going to take too long and we know that might not improve matters but the regulator should just say enough the figure you know, that, this is not the, happening the figure that jumped out at me from your column Alice was the 20 percent uh, leakage mm. compared to five percent in Germany uh, yeah. well, why, why, why is that why why are we so bad at that and actually because we had Victorian sewers yeah. and then right. we say oh but, you know oh it's all Victorian but the Germans had the same problem but they then updated it in the way yeah. that we've actually updated I mean, our education and health system yeah. since the Victorian era we haven't got Oh yes, Let's we always say this. I always say we're paying the price of the pioneer because we yeah, put yeah. we put these sewage systems down. But it's not like the Germans or the Belgians or the Dutch were that much after us. It was no. all northern France. It was, I and mean, we all r roughly industrialized at the same back, time. We, we talked loads before about the sort of short termism, and part yeah. of that's you know these private companies. Well, they just yeah. write it in. It's like well, we could spend loads of money yeah. saving the water, yeah. or we could just write that off. And the government, the government the doesn't see the benefit because yeah. it's because it's anything long term is yeah. like energy or pensions or anything that needs reforming that you won't necessarily reap the benefit of. Yeah, you don't do it. It was interesting because we had Anglian water on the show this week, and they 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 were basically saying that because they don't have much water, they're they they claim they're much better at dealing. Mm -hmm. There is quite a lot of discrepancy, I think, in terms of leakage. But then also the point you make, um, Alice, is you know then they're also busy pumping sewage all over the place. Well, also, it's illegal to pump sewage into the water unless it's in extreme circumstances. But we had 400,000 extreme circumstances yeah. last year. And that, yeah. that can't be right. I mean, that's just so much over the top. It's like, I mean, they just aren't, you know, they're not taking it seriously. And that's because they're not fined enough. And, you know, if you're making vast profits and you're only fined, you know, two million quid, sounds a lot. But actually, that's not going to make much difference to you in the long run. You might as well just carry on pouring out sewage because it's cheaper for you. And then you look at these beaches and you can just see this brown wave going across. And, and actually, Ooh. I noticed that Chris yeah, Whitty, the chief metal, gonna, he was saying... Well, I just looked at Tony Blair's chocolate cake when you said that. <laughs> certain, par certain parallels were inevitable. Exactly. It's actually <laughs> becoming dangerous as a health matter that, you know, you can't have children and adults swimming in this. And, and, and we shouldn't be. Yeah. And then they pay themselves a million... There was a guy I wrote oh, a piece about the other day. I mean, yeah. I mean, a million pounds to be chief executive of a water board. You think you've got to be pretty pretty talented to to justify that but mm. then where's the evidence of talent yeah if you're losing you're losing, if, if the, you're basically you're losing not, the clean water and you're pumping and you're a load pumping, of crap into yeah, the yeah. into the yeah. sea mm. and the rivers then you're not really being very talented as a water boss yeah. uh, other than being able to pay yourself a great deal of money yeah 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 
Well, glad we sorted out. They've covered a lot of ground there, from, yeah. from Gordon Brown's rumbledy thumps to... Uh, I might, F yeah. Anyway, you can have a bit more. I might oh, take no. a bit more. You, you can, can see me line it up. You can yeah. take a bit more. Uh, somebody's texting and saying, flat sponge, try a smaller tin. Yeah, I'm aware of that. When I was putting it in the tin, it didn't really cover the bottom. Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> and somebody else texted in saying, uh, if we need a workforce on farms, how about the 80,000 prisoners? It's an interesting point, though. We're going to talk yeah, about is. growing mm. stuff in prison mm -hmm. uh, later on in the show. Uh, lovely to see you both. Yeah. Robert Crampton, hopefully catch up with you soon, Alice. Well, hopefully Robert will survive till next week after digesting all of that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton, there you can read the both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a lovely subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is Dish United Kingdom. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the week where we get around the four corners of the UK. And as it's food week today, instead of speaking to political journalists, what we thought we'd do is check in with some of the food banks across the country. And it comes on the morning that inflation hit 10.1%. Uh, although food price inflation was up more than 12% year on year in July. An exclusive pro polling for this programme by YouGov has found that one in six people are regularly skipping meals to save money. 50% uh, have cut back on it dining out in cafes and restaurants. And millions have say they've put food back on the shelves in supermarkets because they can't afford it. Uh, that's 39% of people say they've, uh, they've put food back that they'd have normally bought for financial reasons. Young people seem to be struggling most. 56% of people uh, aged uh, under 25 have put food back compared to 22% of those over 65 so let's get a pick let's get uh some sense of what it's like on the uh on the front line helping those struggling most uh in uh our disunited kingdom special in england first of all josie barlow is the manager at bradford central food bank morning josie josie are you there I am there. Ah, there we are. There we are. We've, we've yeah. Put... <laughs> Hi, how are you? Well, very good, very good. We'll pull the yogurt pots and string a bit tighter. It'll definitely work. <laughs> uh, good to have you with you uh, with us, Josie. We've also got Brenda Fogg, who founded the Hope Restored Food Bank in Clandudno in Wales. Morning, Brenda. Good morning. I am here. Yes. Yes, we I'm can hear you in. loud and clear. <laughs> Fabulous. And in Northern Ireland, we've got Megan Kelly, who's a volunteer at... Oh, you're going to have to pronounce it for me, Megan. Uh, Skagenil Community Food Bank. 
Very good. Thank you very much. Great to have you with us in uh, in Belfast. And we're going to bring in a food bank from Scotland uh, in just a moment as well. Uh, Josie, paint a picture for us then uh, up there in Bradford. Um, how big is the food bank? What sort of support are you providing? And and uh, and what, what changes have you seen in terms of, you know, the numbers and the types of people who are coming to you for help? Uh, yeah, so we're quite a big food bank in central Bradford. So we sort of covering yeah, the central postcodes, which are some of the poorest in the UK. So some stats were 87% of people in our wards are in receipt of some form of universal credit, which is pretty huge. Um, so, yeah, so we feed over a thousand people a month at the moment. Um, and, yeah, that's massively increased since COVID hit. So, yeah. Um and how does, it, how does it work then? How many days are you open? How do people get access to the support that you're offering? Okay, yeah. So everybody that comes to the food bank gets referred by a referral agency. That social workers, you know, people on the ground, the job centre, doctor surgeries, um, all sorts of people that are just meeting people, know people are hungry. So it's not a queuing system. It's, you know, you have to be referred and a professional has to have referred you. Um, so, yeah, so it's, so just to put that in context, that's, you know, that's people that really need it. So, I mean, obviously, if we opened our doors more, you can imagine the numbers that we would get. Um, so, yeah, so people get referred. They come to us. We're open three days a week, and we provide a basic three-day food parcel um, with long-life stuff, but then we also give fresh fruit and vegetables and any bread and things like that or frozen food that we have as extras as well on top of that. And kind of one of the main things we want to do is we don't just want to give just food we want to help um, you know deal with the root cause of the crisis so whether that's debt or benefits dodgy ben you know benefits being delayed or having problems or not getting what people are eligible for we have a benefits advisor in as well um running a job club to help people get jobs so we kind of really want and we also have a whole team of sort of signposters who are there to sort of get to the root issue why somebody's in that situation and it could be something like not having the right ID and not having a bank account set up and you can kind of work around those things or somebody that's been injured and you're trying to help them get the right benefits and things like that. So we, we kind of really want to dig down and help with the root cause as well as the immediate. Rather, rather than just sort of saying, well, here's, here's a bag of food, go and sort yourself out. If you've yeah. got that contact with them, then trying to... Uh, try to turn things around. Uh, that's the, we'll, we'll come back to that's the picture in uh, in Bradford. Uh, let's go to Clangledo now. Brenda, uh, paint a picture for us. Um, how often is your food bank opened? Who are the sort of people you're helping? Have you seen a change in the numbers coming forward? Yeah, good morning. Yes. Um, yeah, our food bank is open seven days a week. Um, we take referrals. Uh, yes, we do take referrals from uh, job centre, like this other lady just said, JPs, uh, Women's Aid especially. Um, but we also have it where they can just phone me up directly. Um, some people are too ashamed to go through different agencies and that. So we have no policy where they're only allowed so many a month or so many a year. Um, we have families that come more or less on a fortnightly basis at the moment. Um, we give out really big food parcels. Um, like the other lady said, we give plenty of tins and stuff out, but we also give out fresh fruit and veg, and we have fresh meat as well. Uh, and we make sure that they've got enough in for at least seven to ten days when we make the parcels up. So as you can imagine, with young families, there's pretty well five or six bags of food going out each time they come in. 
yeah, we've seen a massive increase, um, at least another third on what we were doing. Wow. We go by how many bags, and we're giving out roughly four to 500 bags of food a week at the moment um, over a monthly basis. Um, we have also a drop-in centre, which is for the homeless and people in need at the other side of the food bank. So we do hot food as well two or three times a week. And we have counsellors that come in and will help people, like they say, if they've got into debt or if they need help or if marriages are breaking up, etc. Um, so it's pretty well run. It's been going for a long time. We get a lot of support for the food bank here. Um, we have the trolleys in Asda and different areas around. Um, and it's just massively, massively needed now. And my heart breaks with a lot of the stories that come through the door, you know, with young children that haven't eaten, that mums and dads that aren't eating, mums and dads that are splitting up. So the, the mums are going back to the parents, the dads are going to become homeless. So I'm going to get hit on the other side because they can no longer afford to, to, to live. You know, they can't manage their bills or anything. It's it's scary. It's pretty scary to see it, but it's also very very upsetting, you know. So. And how do you cope with that, Brendan? Because you know you, you know, as journalists we sort of dip in and out of stories and can get very affected by them. But then you know we get to move on. You're dealing with this day in day out, and yeah. there's yeah. there's clearly a limit to what you personally can do, but also what the food bank can do. How do you cope with that? Well. You know, as I say, I'm lucky. I've been going for 12, 13 years with both sections now. You know, um, I get well supported with food. My, my fear, I think, was that we would run out of food, you know, before all this got sorted. But what I am noticing now is that in all the supermarkets where we've got trolleys and, and different outlets, that people haven't got the money now to put in the food bank like they were doing. So we're not getting like coffee and sugar and milk um, and tins of stuff like tin meats and that, you know, you're getting loads of other things, which we're so grateful for. But, you know, people are in the same boat all the way around, yeah. you know, and I'm seeing marriages break up because of this. I'm seeing a lady the other day, a few weeks ago that actually sat. I, I pick up from Greg's twice a week um, and I gave her some of the Greg stuff and she actually fed the children in the car because they hadn't had breakfast. And that that really is really does get to you that a child's come out of the house without anything to eat, you know. And this this was before it really got really bad, you know. So I think every food bank starts to think, are we going to cope with the winter? You yeah. know, what's the winter going to be like when the bills go up again in October? They say they're giving all this money out to them, but people are so much in debt now that that money is trying to get themselves out of the rut they've all got into, yeah. you know. And, it, yeah, you have to be – you have to have a corner where you can just come to for a minute, you know, and think, wow, you know um, – You've got to be strong to to deal with it, but you've also got to make them feel that they they're not the lowest of low because they come into a food bank and that's the atmosphere we have here for them. You know that it's relaxed, it's easy going. They don't have to come through the door if they don't want to. We can take the parcels out to them, and I just pray and pray that every all the food banks everywhere that we have enough to keep us going through a, what's going to be a tough winter. You know, and that these families can survive through yeah. it. But it's not just families on benefits now and we're noticing working people that are actually coming to the door to two that were nurses came the other week and um, they've both got incomes coming in but not enough to cover their mortgage and their bills you know so 
it's scary. We're lucky, you know, be blessed with what you've got. That's what I say at the moment. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. I think we're all, all feeling that. Just listening to your stories as well, yeah. uh, Brenda. Megan, Megan uh, let's come to you now in, in Northern Ireland. Just, again, just paint a picture of the work that your food bank is doing. How many days a week is it open? And uh, how are you coping? Are you seeing a lot more people coming through the door? So we're open basically every single day. Um, we do try and take a Sunday off to kind of spend time with our families. But recently we haven't been able to due to the, the demand. Um, we we run a charity shop upstairs, which is like we get donations in. And we basically sell clothes for as little as 50p up to £5. And that's how we get our funding in because we aren't funded or nothing. We are self-funded. We also have an electric electric shop upstairs where one of our volunteers, John, he fixes TVs and all. And that's how we get our funding as well. Um, we opened up in January time. Beforehand, it was mostly outreach with homeless. And we opened up in January time. And it was a steady flow of people coming in and obviously needing help with food. But the last few months, it has been absolutely We've been overwhelmed. So we have um, our youngest is young mums right up till 90 years of age. We have a regular user who was, he's 90 years of age and he worked all his life. So he has, and now he has to choose between heating and eating his food. And he is also a car for his wife with dementia. And we are, we are really struggling at the minute because we, our community is mostly North Belfast based, but we're also getting referrals from East Belfast, West Belfast and South Belfast. And whenever these people come to us and they have no food for their children, we're, we have to do it because if we don't do it, they're not going to get food for their children. Um, we don't take referrals. Um, we don't, they save the embarrassment of having to go through like your health visitor or all your doctors here, which is what you have to do here or your housing officer. Um, our doors are open to everyone, absolutely everyone. Um, we, it's not just people on benefits who come to us, it is people who are working as well. Um, it's most young mums, um, single parents, older, um, the older generation too. Um, we actually have started up a group on a Monday for young parents where we supply uh, baby food and baby milk and nappies and all too, because it's just, <laughs> the right the cost of stuff at the minute is just through the roof so it is yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah it's just it's 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 ridiculous it's terrible so i mean we saw today that food prices were up 12 percent year on yes. year and mm -hmm. with everything else going up for fuel and, and energy and petrol and gas yeah. and electric leaves you less less money each month it, it seems to me that all of you have sort of slightly touched on this that there has been a sort of change in the sort of demographic in background yeah. that this isn't people you know, struggling, not just people on benefits struggling to make, make ends meet, but we're talking about people who are working, you know, in the in the yeah. language of, of you know, the politicians doing the right thing, getting up every morning, going to work. As, um, I think Brenda was talking about having a nurse, nurses coming in. You know, it's a, what what a mess we're in when people are, who are nurses are, are having to turn to food banks just to put food on the table. Have you been finding that as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people who work every single day of their lives, um, what by the time their bills come in and their heating and their electricity bills come in, they have nothing left to feed themselves with and their children with. So they're having to come to us. And like I say, like 
we don't take referrals enough in our door is open to anyone and even on a Sunday if there is like an emergency referral where someone is like in dire need we have a woman who lives to a couple of doors up she's 50 years of age and she actually has to go out on her mobility scooter to deliver food parcels it's just because of the, the rise in demand and we can't we physically can't say no because we know if we can't do it the people aren't eating and their children are going without uh, Josie, coming back to you in, in Bradford, um, Brenda touched on it slightly. I'm interested in what's happening sort of in terms of donations because clearly, uh, you know, it's, I've seen in some supermarkets, they either have like a, a, a collection thing where you can just put it wherever you like it, but quite often they've got these bags, you know, all bagged up and you can just, you know, add that to your shopping and then it goes yeah. to the food bank. But obviously that only happens if the people walking in the supermarket feel like they've got a bit of yeah. spare change. Have you, have you been, as, as, as demand's been increasing in terms of the number of people who need help? Have you seen a corresponding yeah. sort of decline in donations? Um, yeah, definitely. So I think because when COVID first hit, because it was kind of like a national emergency and everyone kind of felt like, right, I need to do play my part and do my bit, which was amazing. So when COVID first hit, you had this massive spike in demand, like as like went five times from 500 to up to two and a half thousand a month of people. Um, but then you had a corresponding sense from like the public and from companies and from grants and stuff like this you've just got a lot whereas now because it's been going on for so long and you know with the cost of living crisis it's all feels like yeah donations have really gone down yeah definitely so yeah we would have had quite a bit of stock but we've you know there's some things we've kind of run out of and other things we've only got two weeks of but yeah we are getting a bit of support from the household support fund um, through the council and stuff. But yeah, it's not, that's counts for about 10% of what we need. So, yeah. And we've heard about um, uh, uh, whether the, what people want from you has changed. I've read stories in the past of people saying, well, I don't want that stuff because it'll take me a long time to cook it and I can't afford the gas. Or, I mean, there was a warning today, Jenny Harry's from the, um, uh, the, 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 the health um, expert, um, health security agencies, she was talking about uh, urging people not to turn their fridges off to try and save electricity because clearly then there's a risk of, you know, food poisoning and that sort of thing. Have you noticed a shift? Um, I probably could ask you all, really, but first of all, you, Josie, have you noticed a shift in what people do and don't want because they can't afford to store it or cook it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because some are only using their microwaves now. They're, they're not using their cookers. So you're trying to think of things they can do in a microwave you know, which is a lot harder, you know, when you've got a family because they can't afford any more to put their cookers on. So this is how a lot of them are living now. You know, a lot of them are taking them to supermarkets where the, the dinners are free at the moment, you know, so they can get free meals for the children. Um, but I think when the kids go back to school, it's going to hit us even harder, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So. And it just starts getting colder and, you know. Yeah, and I think cold that's... weather as well, when you're trying to think of nutrition things for the children as well. You know, they don't want to come home to just a sandwich, do they? They yeah. need a meal at the end of the day. So it's going to be a tough winter, I think, for everybody, for all of us, you know. So we just pray that people keep behind us and keep supporting us, you know. Yeah, you wanted to come in on that, Josie? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, October is going to be really, really hard. It is, yeah. Because loads of yeah. people that haven't got any electricity, haven't got any gas. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, just... Literally, and when you see, because we sit down and work out budgets with people, so you can kind of really see that, yeah, you just literally, you know, you might have 50 quid to buy absolutely everything. And it's just not physically, it's just not physically possible to pay your bills and feed your family. When you look at people's budgets, you just, there's nowhere to cut, basically. So, yeah, and come October with 
more gas, more electricity. Yeah, in the winter, like it's already bad now in the summer when, you know, we don't need our heating on. So you just can't imagine really in, in the winter what's, what it's going to be like. What about you, Megan? Is, have, you, have you seen that shift of people really thinking, well, I can't, there's no point me taking that because I can't afford to cook it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, recently we have. We actually had someone in a couple of weeks ago um, where his cooker is gas thing, so it is. So he couldn't accept anything that was in the cooker, um, where it's actually led to volunteers. Um, my mum especially and myself, um, we have started making ready meals um, at home and bring it in so it's easy to heat up. And it's the nutrition value as well for the children too, because you just don't want to hand in tin stuff and you know that there's not enough nutrition in it. Mm. As well as um, we had a family in and their children have coliac disease. So um, they have to have gluten-free everything. So we're having to get gluten-free stuff because it can't take the normal um, pastas and rices and all too. So it's just because of the prices of the stuff going up as well. Um, and yeah, it's we have, we have, um, a couple of people who've said they can't, they can't take it. Yeah. Um, they need stuff in microwaves or they can't afford the electric or the gas bills um, from heating up food and basically cooking it, which is terrible. It's terrible. And if people are listening to this, just finally before I wrap up, if people are listening to this what and they want to help and they are, in a, they are fortunate enough to be in a position to help, what is the most useful thing that people can do? Briefly for each of you, I'll come around each of you. What, what's, the, what's the best thing that people could do? Uh, Josie, first of all. Yeah, the best thing to do would be to donate food to us. So if you go to our website, bradfordcentral.foodbank.org.uk, we've got a list of the urgently needed food. Um, and then volunteer as well. We need some more volunteers, but yeah, yeah. food and volunteering. That's uh, some top advice there. Thanks. That's Josie Barlow, manager, manager at Bradford Central Food Bank. Brenda, um, your, your, your appeal, if people can, can and want to help. Yep, the same again. You know, just remember where the food trolleys are. We have them scattered all over Clandard. No, please donate as much as you can or as little as you can. Every single thing helps, you know, and just keep behind us right through the winter months when it's going to be so very, very tough for everyone. Brenda, okay. thank, Brenda thank you for that. Brenda Fogg, uh, who founded the Hope Restored Food Bank in Clandard. No, and just finally, Megan Kelly uh, from the Skegonil Community <laughs> Food Skegonil. Bank. Community yep. food bank in Belfast. Go on, Megan, your, your last appeal. Um, so, like I said, we aren't funded. All our funds come from the volunteers and um, the general public. Um, so what? just uh, donations of food, donations of anything, clothes for our charity at the shop upstairs and any old unwanted um, te um, technology stuff for the, the, the repair shop upstairs because that is how we got our funds in. Um, food um we we have a website skagnadecommunityfoodbank.com and a facebook page as well and it, it highlights what we really need at the minute um so anything on our list yeah, really anything on the list and people can mm -hmm. track down their own local ones as well um, yeah. so while we've just been uh, talking um uh we've had so many messages but andrew says these people working at food banks are absolutely wonderful their work is outstanding and i think we can all all, all echo that so i really appreciate your time today but um, not as much as I know that people, you know, the people that you're helping appreciate the help you're giving them. So, so um, you know, best of luck over the next few months. We'll try and stay in touch with you Thank as well. You. Really good to speak Thank to you, you there. Josie Barlow, uh, Brenda Fogg and Megan Kelly. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.